your digital footprint becomes a better mechanism, a better inference to provide like proof of humanity, to provide like a track record, a, a credit history report. Like if you're of thousands of interactions on Aviv, you always pay down the interest. If you've never been liquidated, that I think becomes a, a more complements the current KYC framework in a very nice way because blockchains are data rich. So ultimately, if, if you become that beachhead to get most users to agree and sign up for Kinto, have this Kinto NFT, you almost become an essential middleware for everything else in crypto. Hey everyone, if you have been listening to Empire, you know that Santi and I are fed up with unaffordable fees and frustrating transaction speeds that make the on-chain experience basically unusable. So the Arbitrum team reached out and they showed us the platform. They showed us what you can do on Arbitrum. Whatever you're doing, you can experience frictionless transactions at lightning speed on Arbitrum. So head over to portal.arbitrum.io and check it out. What's up, everyone? Before we jump into today's episode, I'm excited to share Empire's first ever security partner. Harpy is the best tool to prevent your wallet from theft in real time. Harpy is not just a security solution. They are a peace of mind solution. But don't just take our word for it. Harpy is the only wallet security solution that protected 100% of its users from attacks like the Ledger one in Q4, which was an off-chain signature attack. To learn more about Harpy, click the link in the show notes or visit at harpy.io forward slash empire. What's up, everyone? Before we jump into the episode, little plug for Digital Asset Summit coming up in London, March 18th to 20th. Tickets are pacing so far ahead of schedule that we had to decrease the discount code. So instead of Empire 20, it is now Empire 10. Head over to the website, Digital Asset Summit, Das London, March 18th to 20th. Use code Empire 10 and get 10% off your ticket. See you in London. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Empire. Really lucky to be joined by Ramon, co-founder and CEO of Memori Labs. Uh, Memori's building Kinto. Uh, full disclo- disclosure, Santi and I are both investors. Um, and Ramon, before that, head of product at Open Zeppelin. I think you spent some time at Y Combinator um, on the uh, technical lead side at Google uh, and also had founded a crypto company before this. So Ramon, welcome to uh, Empire, my friend. Really happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, Ramon, so Kinto is building this like safe and secure L2 that institutions can use. And uh, obviously, Santi and I are both investors, so we believe in the vision, have a bunch of questions. But I think the lead into this conversation actually starts with not Kinto, but Babylon Finance. So what happened at Babylon Finance that led to this decision to go build uh, this kind of like KYC'd L2? Yep, thank you. It's basically a lot of pain is behind a lot of learnings behind this experience. Babylon, for a bit of background, was a DeFi protocol on Ethereum mainnet that allowed people to create investment clubs together with your friends and invest in different investment opportunities in crypto. Like, for example, okay, let's lend money on Aave, borrow from it, and let's buy Steve, or let's deposit in Convex and Curve and stake the tokens there. Those kind of things. Uh, Babylon was going well. We released the community, we released governance, the token. Then we got to 30, 40 million in, in deposits. And this is at the and this is in a space where asset management has traditionally not been like uh, really in favor because most people in crypto prefer to manage the money themselves and they are really far in the risk curve. Uh, but anyway, we had like 30, 40 million in deposits, and then the rare, the famous Rari Fay incident happened where they suffered a reentrancy hack. And Babylon was one of the six or seven pools affected with Frax and a few others. And because of that, um, we went in a week from 40 million in deposits to 3 million in deposits. And yeah, it was really painful because even if it wasn't directly our fault, and it was also compounded by the decision of Rari Faye to say that they were going to refund. So we told our users, oh, no worries. All the money is there. They're going to refund. It's just a matter of time. And then they changed their mind through a governance proposal two weeks later. And then when we told our users everything was going to be fine, and then they told us, no, it's not fine. So the users were, they had $1. Now they saw 80 cents. So you can imagine. And this is when the crypto market was imploding, Terra, all that stuff. So everything was going down. So the users were understandably really, really angry. And yeah, and basically it's like in a bank or like in the JP Morgan days when spreading false rumors about this bank being this bank being insolvent eventually led to the bank being insolvent the next day. And in this case, um, the moment you lose trust of, of your users, even if you need to close your 
your protocol or for a few hours, then then you're done. So uh, then we after this, eventually Ray and uh, Ray and Faye decided to refund users. So we also did all the work to refund all the users. So nobody lost money through through that hack. But it was really difficult to to recover deposits because of the bear market and the Steve DPEG, everything that was going on. So we decided to close it. But from all that pain is where I came to the realization, it doesn't matter all the benefits of decentralization, 24-7, everything that you can offer with crypto that we all believe in, if users are losing money left and right due to hacks, scams, or rug pulls. Hmm. What is Kinto? Yeah, Kinto is a secure layer two that helps focus exclusively on finance, that helps people and institutions breach uh, the wall of TradFi and DeFi. Hmm. What do you mean by it being a secure layer two? Yeah, uh, there are a few layers here. One of them is like we have KYC at the chain level, and there are several reasons for this that we can unpack. But this, just out of the gate, gives you civil resistance. It probably doesn't give you civil resistance in the more in the most decentralized or crypto bank way possible, but it gives you civil resistance on par with what the airport security systems do right now. It's not perfect, but it works well enough, and governments and financial institutions take it. Then on the user side, we're forcing every user to have their own smart contract wallet. So this will remove all the hacks that you see the board ape holders and all these kind of people that is like they get just scam uh, every day. Um, and this will also enable a much better user experience. So they get two things for the for for the price of one. So uh, those are the two main reasons. And then another one is like by having a layer two, you also have a bit more time to act when something happens because before you escape the chain. So that gives you also uh, a bit more time to to act in the case of an emergency. Hmm. I'm gonna jump in as a, perhaps someone listening to this would say, I definitely hear you. Look, we've been in this environment where there have been constant hacks pretty much every day. And it makes you really question if this can actually work at scale. Uh, what's the point of creating an environment where you have to, where you lose a lot of properties, so to speak, like why not just go back to Web2, you know? Yep. Um, you know, and I've I'm I'm been in crypto for 10 years. So the moment I hear KYC, you know, I it's like an immune reaction, an allergic reaction. My body turns red. Uh, but it's not one or the other. It's like everything in, in life, there's, there's like grace. And in this case, uh, people, when we tell the the, the story of Kinto immediately they think, oh, this is a permission chain. I need to ask for permission. This institution will give me access. But the way we have created Kinto is that uh, the KYC is still owned by the users. Uh, governance chooses with KYC providers are allowed. And you as a user, you pick which KYC provider you trust. For example, right now we offer Plaid or Synapse. And Plaid, you know, is a Web2 leading company that banks use, so they trust. And they are the ones that store data. On chain, there is no information ever stored, and Kinto doesn't store anything. So uh, you don't lose any privacy. And also, even if Plat gets hacked, they don't have your account information. So you still can preserve your anonymity. And then even in Kinto, by default, we create for you like a non-custodial wallet in Turnkey that is like a embedded wallet that is not tied to anything else. So even in the case that both Kinto uh, gets hacked, then you that address doesn't give them anything about your all the other addresses. So we have split everything, kind of like the Harry Potter, Horacrux, Voldemort. So it's really hard for for someone to steal identity, and that's that's our top of mind. Yeah, so I definitely hear you on on the KYC. Look, I think it would be it would be probably naive to think that we're going to operate and continue to operate in an environment where you don't. Like if you look at regulation everywhere, like, you know, the traveling rule, there, there's just been steps towards understanding to some degree who's operating on chain. Now, of course, one of the questions that I had when, when, when you came to me and I was an investor in Babylon and I love backing repeat founders. So you came to me and said, Hey, I want to build this. And I, my reaction was, it makes a lot of sense because, you know, in many ways you already know who's operating on chain. Like, if you think about it, the flow is you, you, most people go through an exchange that will require you and enforce at that checkpoint proper KYC. So they would be able to trace, you know, whether you want to believe it or not through chain analysis and other tools, 
people, you know, it's, it's kind of really hard to preserve uh, unless you onboard it through some other like manner. Um, but I would love to understand some of the other features, like when you talk about a more secure environment, um, you know, in a, in, a, in a place where everyone in the pool or everyone in, in this L2 under, like knows who we, each other um, and can interact, like what kind of activity do you foresee? Do you, do you think, you know, this is a place where banks come and they can trade against each other because they know who they're trading against. They know the counterparty um, or developers get more excited coming here because this is where most users are going to, are going to ultimately be. Uh, I'm curious, like how you think about like building this uh, and what kind of features this allows. Cause there, there are other, um, I forget the, the name of this other company that is uh, like, uh, providing KYC as a service for any type of, you know, L2. Uh, so I'm curious how you think about like the, the other benefits beyond being kind of like KYC by default. Yeah, I think the main difference from Kinto is that we are doing it at the chain level. And this must be like, must seem like a ma minor point, but it's kind of really important, this mental model, do it in, doing it at the chain level. Because talking about use cases, for example, RWA protocols right now on mainnet, they suffer from an anti-network effect because each one of them needs to do their own KYC. They cannot compose with each other. Uh, and the users that would invest in their products, they're usually not on mainnet because they require these compliance checks. So there is a mismatch there. So on Kinto, uh, users, they just KYC once and it's like the Apple Store. If you already put your credit card, then it's one fingerprint and then you can access everything. So it's the same in Kinto. Users only need to KYC once. So it's better for all the protocols, RWA protocols that need this feature. And then if you're, if you are issuing assets that require other checks, like for example, oh, this is, this asset is only available for users in this jurisdiction. You can do that check on chain really easily. And then you can compose with other KYC protocols that cater to the same universe of, of assets. Um, and one important distinction here is like, um, we don't want to KYC everything and we really believe, for example, what is happening in Ethereum, Arbitrum, and we're building on top of Arbitrum. On Kinto, we don't want to copy all the protocols that are already on mainnet and just offer them. We don't want to have Aave, Compound, Uniswap, replace them. On Kinto, we just want to have the protocols or the assets or the use cases that require this compliance check and then hope multi-chain to compose them with the best assets that are already available on mainnet, Arbitrum, et cetera, because we don't want to fragment liquidity. If you need want to buy ST, then it makes no sense to have that on, on Kinto. Mm. We, we just hop on mainnet and grab it. Roman, what do you think? You remember, you mentioned Aave and Compound. Do you remember Aave launched Aave Arc and Compound yeah. launched, um, what was it called? Compound Treasury, I think it was. Yeah. And from my understanding, both of those were not successful. What, do you, what did they get wrong? Um, and how does that impact your strategy at Kinto? I think the same thing they get wrong is Kind of like the, I use, use this analogy of the intranet versus the internet. You know, in the 2000s, also a lot of people said, no, internet is not going to work. It's open. There's a lot of criminals using the internet. It doesn't meet the, the needs of all these institutions to come on board. So it's never going to work. Uh, and the same has happened on crypto, you know, with a lot of institutions or provenance. It's like they're creating these private chains. Um, and then they whitelist the participants. So there is no organic flow. There is no velocity of money. And it's just four or five people changing changing money between each other and it, as Santi said it's like why not create a, a normal web 2 application with a database for doing that it, it makes no sense so in the sense things like our arc being whitelist being whitelisted participants by default it breaks the composability all the cool thing about crypto is the composability and it, it's really hard because when you think okay why see composability it, it, there's a lot of nuance and that's where the I think the wisdom is here but it's like you can have some layer of KYC that, and Kinto, we can offer that for the for the assets that need it. And then even we can offer this product even multi-chain right now. And even another use case is for airdrops. For example, a lot of airdrops have gave, given billions of dollars to users. And many of that has been lost to civil resistance, to civil bots and stuff. So even right now, if you are doing an airdrop on other chain, you could check really easily, oh, is this a unique user? And you can just check, yeah, oh, has it verified in Kinto? And that's it. You don't need any data, personal information, or anything. That can be one use case. Or other one, using Uniswap B-hooks and hooking Kinto KYC AML directly there. And you don't need to know, to know anything. So there are some 
things that will be in the middle. And it's messy. This messy middle is not clear. That it's like, oh, no KYC at all. Oh, everything KYC. So it's like, it's the right, messy yeah. middle. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a good observation. Two things come to mind. One, um, KYC is extremely expensive. And, and obviously... There's ways around it. I mean, it, it, it's cost, I forget the figure, but it's caused the traditional system an enormous amount of time and money and friction, and it's not the most effective thing. But nonetheless, I mean, I, I don't think that we're, it's going to go away anytime soon. Um, I am curious when you, you talked about the two providers, Synapse and um, Plaid, I believe. Um, that is mostly for US persons, I believe, or maybe Europe. Um, it excludes my understanding is it doesn't cover the entire world. Uh, and so how do you think about um, my understanding is KYC is very, not like robust in, in other places. So how do you think about onboarding people in Asia or Africa, Latin America? I mean, is that going to be an, a challenge or, or have you thought about that roadmap? Yeah. Great question. Right now between Synapse and Plat, both countries, we support both places. We support like 85 countries. So around half of the world. And this includes many places in Asia, Africa, Europe, US. Um, but and regarding cost, that's one of our value propositions also for all these protocols, all protocols, etc. Because we are covering the the KYC cost, and because of this relationship with partners, we can achieve good unit economics to make this viable. And then, because of our token incentives, can also use them for the KYC. Uh, Ramon, where is the KYC stored? And that might be a really dumb question, but like, you know how in, in TradFi, if you do KYC, like it's, it's just stored on like the company's database basically, or with the provider, so like Plaid or whoever it is, like, how does that work for you guys? Exactly. It works that it's only the KYC providers that store the data. Kinto doesn't store any personal data. We don't want it. We don't, we don't want mm. anything. So if you as a user right now, we have our launch program open, you can start KYC. Uh, you select, oh, I want to do the KYC through Plaid. You complete the, the flow. It should just take a few minutes and then your information is stored there. And then in Kinto, we only store kind of like an encrypted map between your wallet address and your ID on, on Plaid. That's it. And then imagine later, two months later, you want to visit this application on Kinto that offers you access to, to treasuries, to short-term treasuries that then you can use as collateral, etc. Then when you visit that, maybe that institution, for whatever reason, also needs your date of birth. And then uh, they will use our SDK to say, hey, Jason, so I need your date of birth, and you, with a signature, can it pulls in, it pulls in it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And they will redirect, and then through our backend, we'll check. It's like, and, and they, yeah, is it is it read only, or can Plaid write back to Kinto? Uh, Plaid can write back to Kinto in cases of AML, for example, if someone gets added to OFAC sanctions and things like that. Then automatically, we update your NFT on chain, that is what allows you to send transactions on Kinto, because that's why also Kinto is safer. Only people that have gone through the KYC can send transactions. But then also if someone gets added to a AML of a sanction, automatically we receive the callback from Plaid mm. or Synapse and automatically update that information in the NFT. So then in an application wants to uh, blacklist people that have received the sanction, then they are automatically compliant. So what's the user experience there? Let's say, let's say I'm Santi and I'm yeah. I'm playing around on Kinto. And one day the government realizes that I'm a bank robber. They send that info to, to Plaid. Plaid writes that info back to Kinto. Uh, and Santi what wakes up and just can't, like basically can't play on chain. Like, like what, what does that actually mean? Is he blocked yeah. out of his wallet or? Depends on the application. I mean, if that happens, uh, Santi should still be able to to withdraw assets. It depends because it depends okay. on the level of sanctions or of, if it's OFAC, probably there is a, something really, and they probably require you to fix everything. But if not, if it's just a country level sanction, then you will get that information added to your NFT. And then all the protocols that don't allow that to happen, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to interact with them anymore. Yeah. Who do you think of as your customer, Ramon? Is it the supply side of this or the demand side? Or maybe otherwise put, is it the user um, who wants to do things on chain? Or is it the BlackRock who's like, look, I want to access things on chain, but haven't been able to yet because there's no KYC? Yeah, like all this is, is both. And it's a kind of chicken and egg problem. The, the way we see it right now is that uh, these institutions are going to take a bit of time and you need to be able, you need users to be able to convince them to create this and jump on board. And I think it's also important to be credibly neutral. You know, BlackRock, for example, is probably not going to jump on Franklin Templeton chain and so on. Uh, 
another thing that Quinto is going to offer later, because right now we solve like uh, institutions have like three major problems coming on chain. One is compliance that you don't know who else is in this AVE pool, et cetera. So you don't want to commingle funds. It uh, solves that problem, Quinto. The other one is the security hacks, all that. And we also have insurance at the chain level. So Quinto offers a lot more security guarantees. And then the last one is private transactions. That is something that we plan to offer later through layer threes on top of Quinto. So they're still within the KYC AML ecosystem. But then if you want to develop an application that requires everything private, then you can do it. Uh, so talking about right now, we're focusing on users because users, the same way we're having this conversation and we don't know if it's going through Google, Amazon, Users, five years from now, they shouldn't know if we are using Solana, Ethereum, Quinto, whatever. And they don't care. They shouldn't care. In the end, what we care is about creating value. And if we want to create value right now and not 10 years later waiting uh, for regulations to change to what we would believe is the best for decentralization, then that's why we need to offer this middle way to be able to offer these assets that require these, these checks to come on chain today. Hmm. Are there going to be, do you think like the growth of the ecosystem comes from apps that are new apps that are basically Kinto specific, like KYC, like institutional apps, or is it the, I don't know, tier one, is it the existing ETH DeFi ecosystem that basically um, launches support for Kinto with this KYC support? Yeah, I, I, the way I see it is that it's probably, it's probably first going to be retail and retail getting larger and larger. And it's going to, Right now, you can see the hot ball of money in, in crypto really easily, uh, but it can it gets getting bigger and you can see Blast uh, that got more than a billion dollar in deposit. And probably not much of that is institutional, although they probably did made some deals with market makers that helped getting the initial traction. But um, in order for DeFi to grow, I think it's important to, to first offer a secure experience for users. And Kinto is going to have this unique value proposition for users that is like, okay, you can access anything else you want on mainnet, for example, access STETH, but access it through Kinto. And do you get all the security properties? You get our wallet that we are really proud of the work that we have done and you can try online everything. You don't need to worry about MetaMask. You don't need to worry about gas because everything is a sponsor. Everything is through mm -hmm. account abstraction. So it's magical. Uh, you don't, it doesn't seem like crypto, but you still get the non-custodial benefit that not, nobody else can access your wallet. Only mm. you can access your wallet, but you don't. It, it, it feels like Robinhood. Hmm. If you if you play the tape forward, let's call it five years or ten years, Ramon, are you still? Eventually, you won't want to use Plaid. I'm assuming for KYC, and eventually, maybe you don't. Can you do KYC in a different way, leveraging something like zk proofs, and maybe walk us through your vision for like what the future of KYC looks like on on Kinto? Yep, I, I totally understand, and this is what has prevented, I think, a lot of crypto people from embracing KYC because the technology is there to not need KYC. Because there is no reason for me to give my ID when I can just prove with a, with a zero knowledge proof that is like, oh, I was born here and I'm over 18 years old. There is no need to send my ID. Uh, so KYC is in a sense and also lead technology, but it's the one that is adopted by governments, banks, and we know how slow they move. And these institutions want to come on chain, they want to create products, they want to invest in products. But if we don't offer them uh, the tools to meet their compliance checks, their compliance guy is not going to allow them to do so. So that's why offering this technology now, and then maybe five, 10 years later, it's going to be either a zero knowledge proof or some, even something that like WorldCoin is an alternative to KYC that has other problems, like Vitalik said in the post, but it's another alternative. Right now, KYC is the most adopted civil resistant technology that meets the regulation requirements. As soon as this changes, Kinto is going to replace that piece with something with something else. I'll be the first one to, to do it because I, I want to do it. Um, maybe a basic question, but um, do you lose, like what are the trade-offs here? I mean, obviously QSC ML is, is important. I think it would continue. But do you lose speed? Do you lose, I mean, there, there's, there's an added friction. Like when you talk about maybe going to another protocol, another chain, like multi-hop, um, like practically speaking, yes, it's possible, but I guess like, are you inviting people, uh, developers to write these specific, um, rules, um, to say, Hey, if you live in X jurisdiction and, and your KYC in, in, you know, in the U S you, you can only interact with so-and-so protocols. And, and so you can't do that hop, but if you come from another place, you can, 
I'm curious. I mean, that that can get really complex really quickly in the evolving regulatory landscape. And I'm, I'm thinking of, uh, I was an investor in this company called Avalara, which does tax and calculates tax across every state. And that changes like literally yeah. every day for, and it's, I'm curious, like that can be very costly for you guys. Are you inviting a whole set of developers through incentives to write these permissions and rules for for, for users? Yes, as you say, I mean, this thing gets really complicated, especially with the long tail of assets. You know, if you want to put this exotic product, this exotic building on chain and tokenize it, I think that's going to require uh, a lot of specific checks, depending on which jurisdiction you're in. But we're focusing first on use cases that scale, and the obvious one is treasuries. And, and you can say maker. So RWS, I also don't like the name because it's everything. Everything is RWS. But it's like right now, the obvious use case, especially with the Fed fund rate that's 5%, is like treasuries and be able to allow people to use them as collateral. One of our launch partners, for example, is Mountain Protocol. That is like a stable coin, but gives you the yield. Different than USDC, that they keep the yield for themselves. Mountain Protocol gives the yield to users. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> when you... From a regulatory standpoint, and sorry if I keep asking about regulation, I know it can be boring, but I think that could be a moat, an advantage. Um, say a government uh, less friendly comes to you and says, hey, can they come to you and say, hey, I, I, my understanding is there's, we believe there are some users from this country that have KYC'd and used, gone through Kinto, hand me over whatever it is. I want to see transaction history. I want to be able to tie the wallet to the person is is, is there a, a backdoor is there a possibility to do that there won't be i mean initially until we release governance until we give all the power to everything to on-chain governance this is going to be possible then later what we want once we put this in place we want to just have a process approved by governance that is like okay the authorities need to give you this this and that and then if this happens then our governance can decide to approve all these people and all these people information would be revealed to the KYC provider. In this case, it will be, okay, this address is this ID and then the government can go talk with the KYC provider to get the information. Yeah. I want to make sure I understand something you said earlier uh, because it's going to follow the, the, the next set of questions is in the scenario where Synapse or Plaid get hacked, uh, that hacker is still not going to be able to tie your identity with the wallet. No, because there is nothing a story in, in there. Got it. Well, yeah. In that, I asked the question because in a scenario, for instance, where you're part of a multi-sig and there's five people, like it's really the, the wrench attack that you're trying to prevent here. Yeah. People can very easily, you know, if, if someone hacks Plaid, they all of a sudden know the five people on the billion dollar treasury. That's a, that's an issue, yeah. right? I mean, in time, like Ledger, for instance, uh, you know, doxed yeah. 80% of people, high net worth people in crypto, right? And so that's, that's an issue. All right, I mentioned them in the pre-roll. Now I'm going to bring them up again. It's Arbitrum. Santi and I are really fed up with these high fees and we're really excited to have teamed up with Arbitrum for the next couple of months on Empire. As the leading Ethereum scaling solution, Arbitrum now powers hundreds of decentralized apps across DeFi, perps, NFTs, gaming, and a whole lot more. The team has showed us everything in the ecosystem, both now and what's to come, and we're really, really excited about it. Arbitrum allows both daily users and developers to interact with Ethereum at scale with low fees and faster transactions. The way the team got me excited was through portal.arbitrum.io. So my call to action to you is to get started by visiting portal.arbitrum.io. Go experience on-chain like it was meant to be. For a lot of Empire listeners, your crypto is not just another number on a screen. It's part of your future. I know Santi and myself feel that way. Our security sponsor of this episode, Harpy, takes this responsibility seriously and is the only wallet security tool that shields users from both on-chain threats and sneaky off-chain signature attacks. If you've ever been in that situation where you're moving quickly, you approve something on-chain, you realize that the address might be a dubious address or you're really hoping that you could take that back, 
Harpy has you covered. Harpy can redirect your assets to your self-custodied vault, ensuring they remain completely under your control, safe and sound. With Harpy's always-on monitoring, you're not just detecting threats, you're actively blocking and recovering compromised assets from malicious transactions before they can even confirm on-chain. Harpy is the only wallet security solution that protected 100% of its users from attacks like the Ledger one in Q4, which was an off-chain signature attack. So if you're serious about protecting your crypto investments, it's time to make the switch. Secure your wallet for free at harpy.io forward slash empire. That's harpy, H-A-R-P-I-E dot I-O forward slash empire. If you want it to be even easier, just click the link in the show notes. Should we transition a little bit into, since you started, where, where you are today, the conversations you're having with partners, where's the platform, as I understand it, you, you have launched uh, kind of a early beta, We'd love to understand where the product is today and the traction you're getting. Yep. Um, our launch program um, started like two months ago um, because our, what you mentioned before about the friction and that is, it adds a bit more time to get onboarded onto Quinto. We split up this process. So in the first phase, users were completing the KYC process. We have like already more than 6,000 users verified. And then starting a week before, uh, the week before, we let them create their smart account wallet. And every Kinto wallet is kind of like your own Gnosis safe. So it's like pretty secure by default, but it's all account abstraction. You don't need gas, you don't need signatures, all with your fingerprint in your passkey, but it gives you that level of security. And now we have more than 4,000 wallets have already been created. Starting two weeks from now, the next phase, we're gonna actually help users that got affected by a hack uh, in the last two years on DeFi. We're going to give them an incentive to join on Quinto because the idea here is that we're going to do everything we can to make sure that Quinto is safe and these things don't happen again. So that's going to be the next phase. And then we're going to start allowing people to deploy capital ahead mm -hmm. of our full launch that is going to be April 1st. Roman, you guys originally, I think, um, you, guys are, you guys are kind of more like an L a layer three in a way in a, because you're built on... Uh, Arbitrum, but originally built on Optimism is my understanding. And then yeah. about maybe two months ago, you guys officially announced that you had moved over to Arbitrum. Why have, uh, why did you make that switch? Like, why did you, why, why did Optimism not work for you guys? And why did you move to, op to Arbitrum? Yeah, I mean, we really like the Optimism stack and they were first. <laughs> I see, thank, thank you celebrating. Yeah. Do you have fraud proofs and Arbitrum is just a superior piece of technology? Sorry, why not just cut in and solve your problem? <laughs> I, no, I mean, I'm biased it, it's true. I mean, technology-wise, I'd say they are mostly identical, but Arbitrum is the leader because they are farther ahead in the stage of a roll-up and they also have more TBL. But the reason why Arbitrum wasn't a choice when we started because they didn't release this stack to create layer twos. And um, yeah, we wanted to be on layer two. That's another reason because also Arbitrum was forcing people before to have to go through governance and you have to get approved through governance for being a layer two because we want to be a layer two, not a layer three. We are, we are to Arbitrum what base is to optimism to, to help explain it. So, and, and now we talk with Arbitrum and then they, they are so helpful. They, they replied really quickly that it was in comparison with optimism. We had a much better experience working with the Arbitrum team. And that's why we switched. It was a no-brainer for us. On this point, um, what is the uh, like the licensing model? Um, you know, you're paying some sort of fee to Arbitron, yeah. right? Yeah, sequencer fees. Temper they're still finalizing it. They just uh, <clears throat> posted on the governance forum, I believe, last week or the last few days, mm -hmm. and it's going to be approved hopefully. And then that's the model around ten percent sequencer fees. So, so Arbitrum didn't throw you a big fat grant to incentivize you to come and build an Arbitrum. No, just to be clear, because no. other L twos are, it's important. You know, I, from a BD standpoint, you know, when you think about, it, it's. Uh, I've heard some crazy deals in terms of grants and incentives. So, yeah, it's good to see that. Um, what um, what are you most focused on right now from a product standpoint? And the, these last few weeks focusing on, on this wallet to make sure, I think it's, you know, I really, I'm a huge fan of Solana as well. I think the, the experience that we have right now in Quinto matches Solana in terms of transaction, in terms of user experience, what we can get with Phantom. Um, so that's, that's my focus. And then now it's going to be focusing on getting the world out there. And that's why we're going to London to the, to the DAS conference. We're going to mm -hmm. start creating more blog posts, spreading the world out there and getting 
the protocol ready for capital deployment end of March. We're also completing several security audits. We're also partnering with Hypernative mm -hmm. security protocols. We want to have uh, a chain analysis. We want to have the the chain secure because I have a lot of PTSD from, from my experience at Babylon. So I don't want to go through yeah. that pain again. Yeah. Uh, maybe one edge case. So, so like we know that um, a lot of exchange accounts get traded. This happened during the FTX collapse. This happens time and time again. You know, uh, how do you prevent that me mechanism from happening here? So that, say that IKYC, it's tied to my particular wallet. That wallet might have hundreds of interactions with other wallets. So presumably yeah. you say, okay, Santiago has these other, interact with these other wallets. Say that someone comes to me and I, and I sell that account. You know, I basically give them access to my cryptographic keys and they can now sign on my behalf. Is there a way to understand that? And how do you prevent that? Because then all of a sudden you, you know, someone gets access to, it's a liability for me, I yeah. perhaps. So I should be cautious, but I could also be hacked. Uh, you don't really know, right? Unless I'm attesting to, like I sign a transaction with a message saying, I'm still here. It's me. It's not the Lazarus group or it's not, you know, so-and-so. Yeah. Insert is really difficult. And we, we cannot, it's, it's, it's akin to identity theft in the real world. But in your case that you were saying, if you, if you get it stolen, it's really easy. The other case is really easy that you eventually can prove as going through the KYC saying, oh, that's not my account. Give it back to me. That's really easy. But the, but the, the case where you sell it willingly to someone else is probably going to take a while for for the system to mm -hmm. pick that up and then invalidate it. Not that you will, right? Because you can do it in a centralized exchange, hoping that that centralized exchange yeah. is probably not going to, you know, give that information back to the authorities. Um, but yeah, how do you prove that humanity? Actually, I'm curious. Like, if if someone gets hacked, and you need to prove that it's actually not you controlling the keys, like, what's the mechanism to do that? I mean, you force them to go through the KYC again and the liveness okay. check and everything. Yeah. Also, okay, got it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That makes sense. And uh, just as a data point, like I've heard varying the costs for KYC. Uh, yeah. Providers kind of are all over the place. When you talk about these partnerships, like like the, can you talk about the speed and the cost? Just if you can't disclose specifics, I just like to understand like order of magnitude, like how long does it take? How expensive yeah. is it for you or the partner or, you know, the, the total cost per user? Yeah, the cost, I can give the ranges. The cost of KYC change a lot. I mean, for individuals, it can be one to $2 to $3. And then for businesses, it's a lot more involved in the process. So it takes, I don't know, $10, $15. Uh, the good thing about Kinto, because we have network effects, we can buy a lot of KYC processes at, at once and then make it cheaper and then establish that partnership because then they also ensure that they have also repeated repeated uh, business from us. So the unit economics make it out of sense, make more sense. Then regarding time, it changes a lot by jurisdiction. For example, you're a US customer, it can take you one minute automatically as you go through the process, you're approved. So it's mm -hmm. actually frictionless. If you are, for example, also if your ID doesn't match your current address, then you also need to provide a different proof of address document so that can slow things down. So, but most, I would say 85 to 90% of the people, less than 24 hours. Mm -hmm. It seems like there's a great opportunity, maybe not with Coinbase, because I remember when you were raising, Coinbase announced base, and I was like, wait yes. a minute, like this sort of, they already have 100 million users that are KYC'd, and they already have base in L2. Yeah. So, what void are you going to? bill here but um this all led me to think okay like if you're you talk about phantom you talk about other wallets argent like so many other wallets that have kyc yeah wouldn't this be more of an opportunity to do b2b versus b2c like just go to the wallet if a user is going to create a wallet like the aggregators like phantom so phantom's done a great job it's easy on board right they create a wallet you already have a lot of that information or MoonPay or whatever immediately by default you you're you're like also create the Kinto KYC, like NFT and the wallet. Um, now, Phantom, you would argue, why would they do that? The user can then just go and interact. But like a lot of the users in these wallets are interacting on chain, right? And so naturally, it would be a good opportunity for you guys to, by default, kind of be in that flow, right? So you don't have to do it twice. You, you, you create the wallet in Phantom, you go, it takes you 20 minutes to collect all this stuff. 
and then immediately use the same set of docs in that time frame to create the NFT, like the Kinto NFT, right? Yeah, no, that's exactly what we're thinking. And Moonpay and Kado, we're talking with them for this reason. Then I think there is a bit of a legal problem there for data exchange agreement. For example, if they KYC with some other partner, there needs to be some legal process in place to make sure uh, there can be a exchange of data. Um, but it's, it's workable. It's just a bit of engineering effort on both sides and a bit of legal paperwork. And we're working with some... It's similar, for example, when a protocol builds on Kinto and then for some reason uh, they need also personal data, they, they're, they're going to have to sign this data sharing agreement so then they can retrieve data from Plaid or Sina from the customers. It's similar to that, but with the partners. And yeah, it's a great idea uh, working with this with all these wallets because they already have onboarded. It, it's, that's why also why we work with Synapse because it's the biggest KYB um, mm. provider in crypto. They work with Binance, so they already have KYB a lot of people that are already in crypto. Mm. And out of these 6,000 people that have like onboarded so far, uh, do you have an understanding of who they are? Are they mostly retail? Uh, are they some for businesses? Like who, who are these folks? We have a few institutions that we have provided the KYB and they have KYB, but mostly mostly it's retail because this phase we, we have focused on retail and they are a bit from everywhere in the world. We have probably from these 10,000 users that have started the process, we have around 1,000 between the US and Canada. Then we have another probably 1,000 Western Europe. Then we have 500 Japan, Korea, and then we have a bunch also from other countries like Nigeria or India. Ramon, can you take us in in the room of um, you, men- you mentioned DAS. So at DAS, we have like you know City and uh, you know BlackRock and JP Morgan and all these like bi- the kind of classic big traditional institutions. Speaking, who when you I know you've met with a lot of these folks already. Like, can you take us inside the room into these conversations? Like, why haven't they played in DeFi? What do they think of Kinto? What's like stopping them from get- onboarding to Kinto today? What what is their I guess current framework for this? Yep, yeah, great question. And it's really funny because when we talk with with TradFi people, they don't get some other things, but they immediately get, it's like, oh, everyone needs to be KYC in the chain. It's like, oh, they automatically get that value proof, they automatically get it. Uh, what has been preventing them from doing things on chain, and we have talked with some of these uh, financial partners that recently on crypto, on crypto Twitter, they have been really vocal. Uh, it has been the lack of compliance and the commingling of funds. And this is interesting. We talk even with with VCs, crypto VCs that do stuff on chain and they even are afraid to do stuff on Aave because they don't know who their cartel party is. And even people like Galaxy, you know, they had to do their own work uh, to analyze an Aave pool or a Uniswap pool to decide if they they are willing to take the compliance risk to put money there. So uh, I think uh, the compliance risk and the security risk, of course, DeFi, smart contract hack, and then the lack of liquidity. Because some of these things like ABR or provenance, or uh, there is no velocity of money, liquidity is really low, and there is not so much stuff to do. So for the staff where it's safe, there wasn't anything to do. For the staff that wasn't that there was a lot of to do, like in Ethereum mainnet, there was no way to meet their compliance needs. Hmm. How does privacy tie into their needs? Uh, you mean data privacy or user privacy? Um, it's more like trading privacy, basically. Yeah. And I don't know how Kinto has thought about that. Yeah, that's what I was mentioning before with layer threes, being able to do layer threes. Mm. And you can think like the Aztec technology oh, that they have oh, that yeah. they can do. So you can do that on top of Kinto. And then it's great because you benefit from all the KYC AML network effects. But then you can do also, if you need your private decks or private perp, and then you want everything be private, you can create that roll up on top of Kinto as a, as a layer three. Mm. Nice. Um, I know you, we, you guys talked about RWAs briefly, but take us inside the world of RWAs, Ramon. And I know you mentioned, uh, it's a good quote, like everything is an RWA, but what kind of areas of RWAs are you excited about right now? Right now, we're really excited about treasuries. You know, you can see the growth of these protocols like Ondo, Bact, even Mountain Protocol. They have, because everyone wants safe collateral. That's yeah. one of the things, because right now with RWAs, a lot of people are also thinking, oh, is RWAs just a bear market narrative? Oh, because last year it's like, oh, RWS are going to take out the wall. And now, right now, when the bull market starts, it's like, oh, nobody cares about RWS. I want to make 100x on Bonk or, or these other tokens. And the truth is somewhere in the middle. I think if you can get 
great collateral, safe, uh, that you can then use as collateral to build on top, then that's going to increase the amount of liquidity. It's going to increase the amount of TVL. And right now, 5% uh, treasuries are a really appealing collateral. And imagine that you can, in Quinto is one of the first products that we, we want to offer, that you can deposit USDC, then you convert it to this collateral that pays you 5%, and then you can borrow from it and buy something else. You can buy STETH or you can even loop it if you want a collateral uh, by treasuries that gives you a set of five, giving you six or seven percent with a bit of risk, obviously. But. Hmm. Is there anything uh, that Kinto unlocks that isn't possible today, but will be made possible because of Kinto? I think composability between RWA protocols is the main one, an easy composability. Because right now, you know, if you want to do something with centrifuge and then use it as collateral to use somewhere else, is it's really, really difficult to do. Well, this is a great chat. Um, anything that is like obviously missing from this conversation that we should that we should talk about or Santi anything that you're thinking through I just go back to the main point that um the things that are preventing people to use crypto and that we get this uh, mainstream up I think is security the first one and then user experience and then once we solve these two use cases the the application is going to come. And I agree with Santi also that uh, games, for example, is an obvious one that is going to happen and it's going to happen, I believe, in the next 12 to 18 months. And then these people are going to get comfortable with crypto. So then uh, slowly we're going to be able to grow the number of users in more and more entrenched use cases. Uh, the biggest one is some of the asset management players. But eventually, I mean, from here to 20 years from now, it's, it's just going to be a, a constant gain of more use cases and more territory in a way. Yeah. Yeah. What I'm excited about is that hopefully this becomes the beachhead to get more people to, you know, for better or worse, just appreciate that like doing KYC is not like this huge breach. It's already being done at some point for you to interact on chain, whether you want to believe it or not. Um, so if you're naive enough to understand that you're like a non, it's really not the case. But 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 I think the flip will switch where people start seeing the benefit of and, and getting comfortable with the partners that you're using and the you know a lot of the, what we talked about here is the security and the way that this data is handled and you know doesn't have access to 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 avoid a situation like Ledger right where you know a lot of this information comes out and then and then ultimately like my my thesis is like KYC is a very crude mechanism today um, it constantly needs to be updated a lot of it is information in the real world that is like not actually very sound, um, but it's the best we have, like like utility bills and bank statements and all that stuff. Like there's a whole web of trust. But think about five, 10 years from now, your digital footprint becomes a better mechanism, a better inference to, to, to provide like proof of humanity, to provide like a track record, a, a credit history report. Like if you're of thousands of interactions on Aave, you've always paid down the interest, if you've never been liquidated, that... I think becomes a, a more complements the current KYC framework in a very nice way because blockchains are data rich. So ultimately if, if you become that beachhead to get most users to agree and sign up for Kinto, have this Kinto NFT, you almost become a essential middleware for everything else in crypto um, and unlocks things like under collateralized loans. And I think it really, I get excited from a financial standpoint, like DeFi just becomes you know, there's certain things that haven't worked because we haven't, you know, really figured out this and, and the civil resistance, like for airdrops, for community engagement become really, really essential. Um, <clears throat> I always like to ask this question, like if, if we bring you on in a year or two from now and Kinto doesn't, doesn't work, doesn't live up to your expectations or like, why would that be? Like, what are the, what are the scenarios in your mind where Kinto doesn't get off the ground? Yeah, there, there are a few as always. Yeah. yeah, In a startup, there are so many ways you can die and only a few ways that you can be successful. Um, one of them can be, even if regulation gets really, really friendly and then, oh, we don't, we don't need KYC and there is just one designated, for example, if the US says, okay, we're going to approve everything DeFi and then this base is, is going to be the source of truth. And then it's like, oh, if you have an attestation on base, that can, de that can decide the winner uh, one way. Then... Another one is like, oh, RWS, that is going to be one of our first focus. Uh, don't get any traction, don't get any TBL. So then Kinto fails to get $100 million in TBL. Another one can be we suffer 
a security incident. So then for us, if we're focused on security and then we suffer a security incident, that would be a death now. So th those are three ways that Kinto can fail. Yeah. Um, well, you're a repeat founder. Um, you, you, and I mentioned, I, I, I really like backing repeat founders. Um, for someone that is new getting started in the space, what would be your best advice or set of advices for, for them? They're new to crypto and building something. If you want to build something on crypto, um, it's tricky because, you know, I come from YC and I come from the, from with you and YC has always been like the way to go to get the, the advice about how to get started and all the advice from YC still applies. So I would say this is a good, but then there are a lot of things where it doesn't apply in capital formation, capital location, incentives, the way we the way you onboard users is totally different. So I would follow your curiosity and I would pair, for example, Y Combinator with the Andres and Horowitz Crypto School. I think those are good resources to get the high level and then get a sense of how you can, because making the switch from building a company to building a protocol, and you don't need to build a protocol per se. That's another thing that you need. Maybe you don't need a token. You can build a SaaS on crypto. Maybe that's a business model, or maybe you need the protocol and the token and the incentives and the community. But all the, all the, all the paths are available. Yeah, it's a good observation. I think this is a good place to end it. Perhaps we'll see more and more businesses just build on top of protocols and without a token, but just, yeah. you know, um, so it's a, it's a great point. That's it for me. I mean, Ramon, great, great having you on. I think it's uh, exciting what you guys are building. Um, and yeah, thanks for coming on and sharing your, your insights. Yano, anything else? No, all good. Ramon, rooting for you, man. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to see you both in person in London. See you in London, my all friend. Right. Likewise. <laughs> Hey everyone, Jason here. Thank you so much for watching today's episode. Wanted to take a quick second to thank today's title sponsor, Arbitrum. We know you are tired of on-chain experiences that have unaffordable fees and frustrating transaction speeds, and that's why we partnered with Arbitrum. You can experience frictionless trades, lightning speed, and lag-free transactions, all for pennies per transaction. Explore Arbitrum's expanding ecosystem at portal.arbitrum.io. That's portal.arbitrum.io. Io. See you for the next episode. Hey everyone, thank you so much for watching today's episode. Really hope you enjoyed it. We wanted to take a second to just remind you about our upcoming Digital Asset Summit in London, March 18th to 20th. Santi and I got your back. Seats are limited. If you heard it earlier in the podcast, there's a little competition running at Blockworks to see who can drive the most number of tickets. So when you register for the Digital Asset Summit, make sure you use our code. See you in London.